So last week, I introduced you to um, Theophilus and to, to Luke, all right? Theophilus and Luke. Luke is the writer of this particular gospel that we're going through. Theophilus is the recipient of the letter. And in order for us to see how important um, this passage of Scripture we're getting ready to look at is, you need to understand what Luke decided to take on. He wanted to prove, all right? And he believed, but he really wanted to show proof, to, to put action to words, to put names with faces, to say to this man who was seeking, to this man who was intelligent, to this man who wanted to understand, but, but needed to know. Certainty is what we looked at last week. And as we jump across to the away in a manger, to the virgin birth, we, we, we oftentimes, the day before Christmas, in, in fact, I came in and pressed and said, hey, are we doing the Christmas story today? And I was like, well, no, and, and yes, all right? We jump across this section that I'm about to share with you and the awesome power of our faith that we can find in it. So I'm going to introduce you to six more individuals. Most of them you will have heard of. Some of them you may or may not. And I want to share with you how they play into the story as we walk up the path to the birth of Jesus, which we will get to next week, all right? So I want to read, and we're going to set the text, the time frame, right in uh, verse 5. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through a lot. All right. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. That's person number one, Zechariah, who belonged to the division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, person number two, was also a descendant of Aaron. That's very important. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. First two people we're going to look at today, Elizabeth and Zechariah, all right? Some important pieces of information. They were great people. They were beloved people in their communities. They were beloved of God. They followed the commands of God. They did the things that were asked of them. And if you hearken back to the Old Testament, you remember another couple, Abraham and Sarah, who followed the decrees of God and knew in their hearts and in their spirits that they would one day have a, a child, all right? But they were barren for a prolonged period of time. What you may or may not know is uh, twofold. If you're a man, a lot of times you don't understand the longing. You don't understand the, the yearning that, that, that young women do have at times. Some don't, but many do. I remember being in a Sunday school class years and years and years and years and years ago, okay, at the People's Church in Franklin, Tennessee, and I remember there was like 20 couples in that class. Most weeks, there was about 12 to 15 couples there at a time, and at one point in time, six of the people in that room were pregnant. Six, all right? And there were most of the time just nine to 12 women in that room. We did not touch one another's water, all right? Never, all right? We just didn't do it. But you could see as each woman announced or as each woman, and as the ones who were waiting for that to happen, you could hear it. You could feel it. When there's the loss of a child, we had a couple of those. There was this, this, this pain that swept not only through the family, but through the group. And so uh, men, we, we don't necessarily understand that particular longing. But back in this time, it was 
faulty. It was painful. It was, that was what you lived for. That was your gift to your husband. And her barrenness didn't cause him to love her any less, but it did weigh upon the hearts of both of them heavily and deeply. Now, he was a priest. He was the head over, over a church, over, over a congregation, all right? And he had to come in continually and be, be joyful and be hope-filled and care for the people while enduring this. And at the same time, Elizabeth had to hold her head high. Now, here's something even cooler that you may or may not know about both of them. It, it says that he was in the line of Abijah, okay, which is also in the line of Aaron. He was in the priestly lineage in, in, in high-end, like high-end priestly lineage from the Old Testament way down. Here's what's really cool. She was actually in that lineage too. So a son from these two by birth and by blood would be priestly in and of himself according to the way the Jews thought. So that was a really cool deal. Well, after all this time, here's what happens. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God, chosen by lot according to the customs to go to the temple and burn the incense. So he's going to do his priestly duties. And when the time came for the burning, all right, of incense, the assembled worshipers were outside. He's inside doing his thing. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and was standing right beside him. Now, if you're alone in a church doing your priestly duty, there's nobody else in the room. All of the worshipers are outside. And all of a sudden, next to you is an angelic being that is going to catch you a little bit off guard. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, no kidding, and gripped with fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Called him by name. What's up? Your prayer has been heard. It's like, I got an answer for you, my brother. This is good news. I'm standing here with my big happy wings. See the glow? I'm excited. And this is Gabriel, mind you. So Gabriel, all right, we know that later, all right? He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you're going to call him John. Now, an angel standing next to you in all of his splendor and glory in the temple, that ought to be enough. Come on, Zechariah. He's going to be a joy and delight. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring many people back to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Zechariah asked the angel, You sure? You think Gabriel want to look at him and go, Nope. Thought I'd dress up today. I mean, really, y'all, let's make this real. Ma! I don't know. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in you. Do you think Gabriel wanted to go, remember Abraham? 90 years old. Sarah, come on. I, you're God's goddamn. Here's what, <laughs> Gabriel didn't like that too much. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to talk to you. Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? That's what's going on here. And now you will be silent because you didn't listen, because you, you don't get to go home and tell your wife. You were pre Can y'all imagine? He shut the mouth of a preacher for nine months. Mm, glory, I don't... Mm -mm. 
Until this day happens, you're not going to say a word. So from that point until this baby is born, Zechariah cannot speak. They have to learn to communicate with him through this whole thing in sign language and stuff, all right? The people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, blah, blah, blah. It's not that it's unimportant, but here's what you need to know. Zechariah is married to Elizabeth. They're going to have a really special child, and now Zechariah can't speak. And now, because of the way things work, all right, after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, that is important. There is a reason that the Bible and Luke goes ahead and points out that she was kind of moved away from folks. Women, when they were to be married, going to be married, or were with child, were often separated from folks while they were trying and immediately thereafter for a reason, which I'm going to explain in a little while. Now, Elizabeth gets excited, all right, and she's praising God for what he's done. While she's pregnant, around month six, all right, about the end of the second trimester, okay, Gabriel is sent on another baby, baby telling, Sharon Stork mission, all right? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to uh, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So now we get the lineage again. Priestly lineage here, lineage of David, kingly lineage, lineage that all the Jewish people paid attention to here. The virgin's name was Mary. Already said the word twice. In this particular verse, and the angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And this teenage girl, 12, 13, 14 years old, who is going to be married to a guy says, hey. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. You're going to have to explain why this whole, you know, puberty thing is favored. She, anybody met a 12, 13-year-old girl? All right, not feeling favored. Can I get a witness? All right. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have favor with God. And then the angel says, you going to conceive. Does that word mean something different up there than it does down here? <laughs> And you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. This is not going to go well when I get home. Right? Now, how will this be since I am a virgin? The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of God will overshadow you. And the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Listen, even Elizabeth, your relative, is about to have a child. She's been secluded, right? And she, who was unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. Mary goes from, oh my gosh, what is happening, to, holy cow, I didn't even know. Why does this excite her? Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. They're not just cousins, they're very close cousins. Mary looks up to Elizabeth. She's kind of like the older sister she never had. They are tight, and anytime Mary has needed something in her life, Elizabeth is the one that she's gone to. And now I've just been told, 
even though I've never had sex, that I'm going to have a baby and that God's going to do it. And I got to figure out how to tell mom, dad, the whole community and the guy who I'm supposed to marry. And now I got to get excited because she's been trying to have kids for years and I just want to clap. So, oh my Lord, I've got to go see her. That's what happens. No word from the God will never fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country called Judea. Now listen, not a lot of time has elapsed, mind you. But God has already done what God was going to do. Do you hear me? God's already done what God was going to do. Elizabeth is six months along, marries a couple days, and makes this trip, right? Catch this, because this is good. Where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. You know they were both like, ah! And Mary's, Mary, Elizabeth is thinking, ah, you get to tell her this is awesome. And Mary's thinking, wait till I get to my news. <laughs> All right? Oh, yeah. When Elizabeth, now for Mary to say this to her, this was not going to, it was going to be a mixed moment, right? But God took care of that. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the minute Mary spoke, the baby leapt in her womb. Her six-month-old child jumped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. She didn't have to tell her. Watch this. In a loud voice, she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. I almost think Elizabeth, as the words are coming out, are going, Wait, what in the world am I saying? Because the Holy Spirit overtook her, and she cries out, And blessed is the child you will bear. And she's thinking in her mind, The child she will bear, me! You know, you got you to get all this. She didn't know. But why am I so favored that the... Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord... Did y'all hear that? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is her little cousin. But something has changed as the Spirit speaks. Come on, why do we miss this? Why do we skip this stuff? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. God's already done it. And listen, the double... The double-lined priest who would eventually be called John, even though the husband was told he was to be called John and, and he can't tell them and the family thinks he's going to be called something in the line of Zechariah and if that happens, they've been disobedient to the Lord. So later on in the story, the mute has to unmute, but they actually use a sign and he writes, his name will be John and Mary says, or Elizabeth says his name is John and he will speak. Do you know who this is? This is John the Baptist, the one who recognizes Jesus first will be the one who baptizes Jesus later. The one who realizes who the Son of God is will be the one who brings him up out of the water as the one who knows he's coming out of the room will, will bring him out of the water. And God will say, this is what? My son, come on. This is brilliantly beautiful stuff. So, we have Mary and Elizabeth, who are cousins. We have a little, let, let me just here, let me help you all out here. Let's go right here. Does this help? Elizabeth, Zechariah, and their baby, six months ahead, is John. Cousins, Mary and Elizabeth, which means John and Jesus are cousins, 
and Joseph. This is where this gets tricky. Okay? This is where this all gets tricky. All right? When Mary returns, she has been away from the family, away from Joseph, and away from town. That's important. Because anybody who's betrothed to be married is normally separated and segregated from all other men for this very reason. Okay? Why did it say virgin three times? Not only that, but let's jump to Isaiah real quick, hundreds of years before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him God with us. There will be a time when God comes to be with us. And when that time comes, he's going to be delivered through a virgin. Every Jewish child, teen, adult, and grandparent would have known this verse and would have known what that would mean. So there would need to be a lot of proof because if we're going to treat somebody as if they are the carrier of God, we're going to know. I asked you last week why more people don't argue about the virgin birth. I mean, that's unreal. We don't even understand that in this time. Let's just get real. Virginity has become a side note in our culture. But it was priceless back then, and I'm going to tell you why. There were three reasons, three reasons why you need to understand why, number one, her virginity was important, but number two, if people wanted to argue it, they would look stupid. Here's why. Number one, in Jewish law, if you were caught in the sin of fornication, which means sex outside of the marriage, all right, at, at best, you were extradited, removed. You were excommunicated. At best, most likely, you were taken out and stoned. The most likely thing that would have happened in Jesus' time if a woman is not even engaged, if a woman gets pregnant, she's not even, not that she's, her womb is worthless. <laughs> Done. They kill you. Why is Mary still alive? Unless she can prove it. Number two, the inheritance laws, the firstborn laws. Back in that day, it was imperative to every father, every grandfather, every family, every race. Caesars knew it. People knew it who weren't religious. The firstborn gets the prize. The firstborn takes over the throne. The firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn leads the family. The firstborn was the most important thing. How do you make sure that that is the firstborn? What is the one way to be 100% certain that the child inside that womb is your child? If, in fact, the woman is what? A virgin. They tested, they tried, they checked, they kept the bride away. When Mary went back, they immediately would have said, what did you do while you were gone? That would have been the first thing out of their mouth. You've ruined everything. You were gone for several days. What went on here? Who took you? They needed to know. Firstborn is not only important for them. Listen, for God so loved the world, he gave his what? Only begotten son. 
this child had not only to be the firstborn of Mary and the firstborn of the Joseph, the father who would raise him, he had to be the firstborn of God. Why? That's where kingship comes from. So the laws were important. Listen to me. Somebody would have checked and found medical proof. It was a no-brainer back in that time to either save a life, to prove the value of a child, a young woman child, or to prove things to the husband. It was a, it was a commonplace act for a doctor, especially one who's writing these words. Luke was a doctor. To check for there to be no, we're going we're gonna to nicely say breakage. Okay? It would have had to have happened. Mary would have immediately been checked by a doctor or a midwife trained to do so, to prove all of these things, to keep her alive, to keep her engaged if he still wanted her, and to medically prove something that this re these religious people would have needed proven to them. Because if what she's saying is true, then the one inside her womb is a candidate for this. And she would have gone from outcast to an obsession immediately. She would have gone from criminalized to crowned immediately. Cared for, loved, because she was betrothed to Joseph, but carrying the first begotten child of God. This is why it's so important, because he had to be both. In order for everything that you believe to be true, everything, Spencer, Laura, everything, all of you, in order for it to be true, this has to work. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. How does Jesus save the lost? He is the pure and innocent lamb sent from God who has to die to take away the sins of the world. That's how it has to work. Here's the problem. A man can't live sinless, but a God can't die. Jesus needed to be both. This is why Theophilus would have said, they, sometimes I hear on the street, son of God. Sometimes I hear on the street, son of man. What is he? And Luke says, both. Not just both in the way we speak. He's actually both. He is physically the son of Mary and Joseph, born with skin and blood into the world and laid in a manger. He is also the firstborn child of God. And because he is God, he, God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might become his righteousness. He was sinless. No man except Jesus could do that because he was 100% God. But because God is timeless, alpha, omega, beginning, end, he has no boundary. He is eternal. He cannot die. So Jesus had to be flesh. He had to be the son of man in order to die to take away our sins. This is why Christmas is important. Luke chapter 2 is awesome. Luke chapter 1 is just cool. Because it sets the stage for everything this baby would be. It introduces the background, the lineage, the, the history, the theology of who baby Jesus is and why. And why the story works. It's not refutable. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.
God, please allow this story to land on our hearts over and over again. Please help us to celebrate. Please help us to watch Elf and Christmas Vacation and Miracle on 34th Street with joy. And help us to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. Help us to sit in church on a Sunday morning to open gifts, to read your story of your birth. Help us do all of the things. God, don't just let us remember the reason for the season. Let us know. Let us dance. Let us shout loudly, abducted by the Holy Spirit, and say, who is it? Who am I to stand in the presence of the mother of my Lord? Who are we to rise and fall, to gather in worship, to get to preach about God and his only son, Jesus? Who am I that you might call me? God, let us not lose the luster of the awesomeness of your story. And let us tell the story with power, authority, faith, and truth. In Jesus' name, and amen.